What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Y'all probably recognize this. It's a slop. And this here, this is my slop bucket. Oh, wait a minute now. This ain't no different from what y'all eat. Of course, most of you eat slop all day long anyway. Just slop, 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 more slop. Our hogs just like it. They like to eat this slop. Come to think of it, I reckon you just might see some of your kinfolk using the same kind of manners that the hogs have. Yeah, look at them. Y'all ain't no different. Y'all's just as greedy. Each hog wanting to eat more slop than the other so they can get bigger and fatter. Just more, 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 and more slop. So for all you slop-eating hogs out there, this is Henry Godwin saying, Bon Appetit. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by TMPT Con 2. On Saturday, May 19th, 2018, TMPT Con 2 comes to you live from Richmond, Virginia at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road with the two-man power trip of wrestling second convention in the amazing wrestling area of Richmond, Virginia, as we bring forward a autograph and memorabilia show featuring wrestling legends and a lot of the great talent of the Mid-Atlantic area. So please head on over to our website, which is tmptofwrestling.com, for more information on TMPT Con 2 and all the happenings of the two-man power trip of wrestling. So get over there right now and make your plans to join us at TMPTCon2 this coming May 19th, 2018. 
And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are joined by a monster of a man. We are joined by a hog farmer. We are joined by a guy who knows how to dish out a little Southern justice as Mark Canterbury, otherwise known as Henry Godwin, joins today's program. And this was an absolutely amazing chat with Henry Godwin as we got to dive deep into a lot of cool things, talking about road stories, talking about some backstage stories, talking about what happened in the ring in the WWF, but learned a lot about what happened outside of the ring as well. And Henry Godwin Godwin has been a guy that I was personally really looking forward to talking to because he was in an era where it was a huge transition point for the WWF and he got to see the rise but unfortunately a neck injury cost the Godwins quite possibly a much larger run in the Attitude Era and Henry Godwin will dive way deep into that story and all those happenings with the Godwins in 1998. When we recorded this interview back in October, we were getting ready for a Legends of the Ring convention, which Henry Godwin was going to be at as well. And he was a couple of tables over, and he had told us to come over and say hi at some point during the day, and we did. And what a welcome we had from Henry Godwin. Just an amazing guy. Welcomed us in like we were family. And just getting to know him for a couple of minutes and getting to chit-chat, this interview really doesn't give it justice because he is one hell of a nice guy. And I'll tell you something, when we hear about some of these stories, when we hear about a couple things that a lot of wrestling fans want to know about, uh, one thing that was at the top of my list was talking about the BSK, which is the arrival group to the click back in the WWF in 1996. And we get to tackle it with Henry, and he does not hold back at all. He gives us everything that we want on the BSK. He talks about the tattoos. He talks about the influence of The Undertaker and covers every topic that we really had to cover with BSK. So I don't really want to beat around the bush because this is a fun interview and I want to get right into it. So, John, why don't you come in here now? Tell us a little bit more about TMPTCon as well as some of the other highlights that we have to look forward to in this episode today with Mark Canterbury, otherwise known as the hog farmer, Henry Godwin. Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and there are so many big things going on in the world of TMPT. Head over to tmptofwrestling.com. Yes, our website, tmptofwrestling.com. It has been refueled, remodeled, and reset by our one and only Chad, and it is looking better than ever. And while you're there, check out TMPTCon 2. There's a link for our second ever convention down in Richmond, Virginia on the 19th of May, 2018 at the Holiday Inn over there on Commerce Road in Richmond, Virginia, the legendary wrestling town that it is. So please look at all the info. There's some vendor info. There's some guest info. Two guests have been announced so far. The one and only Easy e the boss, Eric Bischoff, and of course our tag team partner, if you will, a member of the Triple Threat with us, Shane Douglas. So do not miss that event, especially if you're in the Richmond area. It is going to be great. Last year was a lot of fun. This year is going to be even better as we have surprises and much more added to that show very, very soon. But 
like we're talking about today, and obviously this episode is dedicated to Henry Godwin, obviously our interviewee, and it was awesome to get him on for an interview. What a nice guy, and sometimes you look at these guys and you're like, man, he's a huge, intimidating guy. He probably, you know, you could kick our ass in about two seconds, but he's a sweetheart. Nice guy. You know, you can pretty much ask him any question. He'll give you the answer. I mean, it's just really enjoyable to be able to get him on and obviously talk about a myriad of topics. Not only his time in the WWF, but also his time in WCW, his relationship with Dennis Knight, how that partnership got started, a lot of good Dusty Rhodes stories, a lot of funny stories, obviously from that time in WCW, but also about how they kind of reformed in the WWF. We get some Vince McMahon stories. We get some Triple H stories. Obviously, we get some great stories about them winning the WWF tag titles on two separate occasions. We also talk about some injuries. We talk about the Legion of Doom. We talk about it all, and I don't want to keep on talking, 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 because I want to send you over to a great interview we did with Mark. So... Really, you're going to enjoy this one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a little bit of Henry Godwin, a.k.a. Mark Canterbury. Absolutely. And the cliffhanger of this episode is, would Mark Canterbury wear the Naked Midian fanny pack? So stay tuned for the tail end of the episode for what Mark Canterbury has to say about the Naked Midian storyline. His partner, Dennis Knight, later known as Midian, was, of course, fashioned with the Naked Man gimmick and streaking at some point. Former European champion, might I add. But find out what Mark Canterbury would uh, would have done if he had been pitched a naked Mark Canterbury in, uh, gimmick in the WWF. It's kind of a funny point at the end of the interview. But this is really a lot of fun, so let's get into this interview now. If you want to learn more about TMPTCon, head over to our website, like John said, TMPTofWrestling.com. Try to revamp it a little bit. Try to add some extra things to it. There's a new Triple Threat page. You can get our Triple Threat Podcast t-shirts in the style of the franchise Shane Douglas logo. You can find out all the information about TMPTCon 2, and you can reach out and touch us. All the information to get a hold of the two-man power trip is on there, so take advantage of that and join us every single week here for both the Triple Threat Podcast, released every Tuesday and every Friday. You know you get us. You get Chad and John, the two-man power trip, every single week, bringing you another interview from the archives. So let's see who's going to be in the vault for next week as we get it ready for another great episode today with the one and only Mark Canterbury. So as the music starts to creep in, John, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get this show on the road. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. 
And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. And now, without any further ado, the former two-time WWF World Tag Team Champion, the HOG, Henry Godwin, a.k.a. Mean Mark, a.k.a. Mark Canterbury. Please enjoy. You guys, I like the little uh, Texan Shanghai uh, hit there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can't remember it. You know what I love about the, the Texan Shanghai era is uh, the fact that you two remained a great tag team years later. We're going to cover both of those runs as a tag team. I just thought that you guys, as Texan Shanghai, is a pretty damn good combination. But then to change it completely – we are going to cover that in yeah. just a little bit here. But before we get into all that, i, I got to say it's cool to have you on the show. We talked to the Headbangers earlier this year, and they talked about your matches that you guys had, the Godwins and the Headbangers, and just how that era, that pre-attitude era, was such a, uh, such a, a prelude to what was going to come. And uh, as we kind of oh, look yeah. back on that, you know, I know you've, uh, you've still remained active around the wrestling scene, but how are things going on in the world of Mark Canterbury these days? Well, it's uh, it's going better, you know. Uh, I ha- had lost my son in 2003, and that put a little damper on me going back. And uh, but I'm getting back into it more. To, uh, got a show in Jersey, signing this weekend in Jersey. <clears throat> I was in Maryland with uh, the Steiners, Steiner boys, which I. Hung around them in the old WCW days, and uh, Goldberg was there, and Big Sexy Kevin Nash, me and him got to hang out and talk about old times. Even Sonny was there, so I got to hang out with Sonny and uh, she defied a little bit with her, and me and Tony Atlas, uh, was Tony Atlas was there together, so it turned out, oh, and uh, Christian and uh, Bubba Ray Dudley. So it was a pretty good weekend. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite the collection of uh, of guys up at uh, MCW. It's not too far from where both John and I are located. Uh, I'm in Virginia, John's in New Jersey, so we'll <clears> only <throat> be seeing you 
this weekend in New Jersey uh, at Legends of the Ring. But that crew that was in Maryland, that was a pretty eclectic crew covering a lot of different eras. And one guy you mentioned there was Kevin Nash, and we're definitely going to mention the click in the BSK at some point. But how was uh, how was meeting up with uh, with Big Kev there, a uh, guy who was the uh, the leader of the ship for one point there in the WWF? Yeah, well, me and Kevin go back way before WWF and WWE times. We were in uh, me and uh, Tex Phineas. Uh, we rented a uh we were living in marietta in a big high-rise and kevin and his wife lived two uh two floors above us so we hung out with kevin a lot in the early 90s down there and uh he's just a he's a hell of a guy he is the funniest guy i think i'm one of the funniest guys i've ever met just quick and he is he's shifty man he is a great guy <laughs> he he probably could have some kind of a second career uh, as like the most dry-witted comedian known to man because it seems like every kind of like uh, comparison or uh, you know sarcastic thing that he says, whether he's intending it to be funny or not, always seems to come out in some kind of comedic way. Yeah, when, after he did the Magic Mike too, I I texted him and I said, "Man, all I can say is that's freaking classic, Kevin Nash." <laughs> Because that's the way he acts. The way he acted in that movie, that's him. He's just, he's hilarious. <laughs> I'd also like to think that maybe uh, he, he didn't have to do all that male stripping, though, uh, <clears throat> in our past life to uh, to audition for Magic Mike. But, you know, it's funny. You and Nash both uh, <laughs> Master Blasters in your own right, both sharing the, uh, the Master Blaster name at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's the uh, that's the crazy world of wrestling. So yeah, let me just jump into this. What I was saying about that ninety six ninety seven era of the WWF, because now we all look back at the Attitude Era. That it was this great time in the business that brought it back to the glory days. But the table setters of ninety six and ninety seven, I think a lot of people overlook. And the WWE is starting to kind of show a little bit of love. They're putting out a DVD about the the dawn of the Attitude Era. What do you think about that ninety six ninety seven time span? where you guys were setting the table for what was about to come just a few years down the road. Well, I mean, when we, when we got up there, the tag, the tag scene wasn't real big. And then, you know, as, as we kept building it a little bit, you know, then you had uh, Davey and Owen, which we worked a bunch. Uh, we worked them in Penn, at Penn state one night. It was just a house show. And we, they had the belts at the time, and this is right when uh, Dennis come up, Phineas, from Tampa, and, me, and they put me and him together again. Well, anyway, uh, we wrestled them in Penn State one night, snowing, but the, the little arena was packed there, and it was a non-title match. But we beat them in Penn State, and this the people just went crazy. I mean, it was just... It's what everybody was talking. And then the headbangers came, and it seemed like the tag scene was, you know, really starting to build. And it was just a good time. And you, you had, uh, you know, Brett was there, and Stone Cold, and Kevin, and Taker, and Yoko, which was a dear friend of mine, you know. And then you had Fatu, and then uh, Godfather came back around, and so it was Savio. 
I mean, just great guys. I think you guys, uh, one of the things that's crazy about that era is the touring schedule, and you guys got to know each other all very, very well, because whether it was an international <laughs> tour or just touring here domestically, I mean, you guys spent many, many miles on a bus or many, many miles in a car getting to know each other pretty damn well, and I think that that could be one thing that's lost now in professional wrestling are those car rides. Oh, I learned I learned so much. You want? I'll tell you my first uh, car ride as far as being hired in the WCW when Dusty hired me in WCW. Me and George South was just talking about this last weekend at Raleigh. We had a show in Raleigh, and uh, I was going and doing TVs in WCW, and George and Stal trained me, Italian Stallion and Gorgeous George South. Well, they trained me, and they were taking me to do TVs. Well, I had I did a few, and then Cowboy Bill Watts come in. He took over, him and Dusty and Barry Wyndham. And, of course, we lived with Barry for a while. And, um, but uh, he, uh, Bill Watts wanted me to work Eric at Center Stage in Atlanta one night on TV. So I rode down with George and Italian Stallion, just brought my gear and what I was wearing. <clears throat> well, I have a hell of a match with Eric Watts on WCW and center stage. <clears throat> so um, we're getting ready to leave. Arn comes up and Jody and says, uh, you know, uh, Dusty and uh, Bill Watts want you to go work on the road with Eric for a week. So I didn't have any money with me and no clothes, so all the boys are like giving me these clothes, aren't give me some Zubox to wear. And uh but that's how I got my job was working Eric in Texas. We had like a Texas loop. And uh my first car ride was Harley Race was driving. Uh Barbarian was sitting in the front with him and Hercules Hernandez was in the back with me. Now, this is my first road trip, you know, everybody's drinking pretty heavily and uh, Barbarian had to put me to bed that night. So we, me and him talked about that last weekend, <laughs> but, uh, you know, pretty intense group to be put on the road with for your first road trip. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a snake pit of tough guys right there. I can't even imagine yeah. what, the, uh, what the conversation is, but that's uh so what is it? So what is a car ride with Barbarian, Harley Race, and Hercules Hernandez like? Is it Harley holding court and telling all the war stories, or is it everybody kind of throwing in their two cents? Well, Harley, of course, Harley's in control, and everybody's. And I didn't say a friggin' word. I sat there with my damn mouth shut. And, and, uh, but Harley would say, "Kid, when you hear the can crush, get me another beer." <laughs> So that always stuck with me. But, yeah, Barbarian and Hercules, they were – well, I was just with Barbarian. I spent a weekend with him and his family in Charlotte, and that was in 93. And he was telling me the – he said, you remember coming to my house? I said, hell, yeah. We ate like his wife, Mama, man. She cooked some good Samoan food that night. And uh, Yeah, Barbarian's a great guy warlord 
uh, Tugboat was there last weekend, got to hang out with him, Bobby Fulton. So it was uh, it was a good weekend, too. Yeah, that's, uh, we've talked about it, you know, many, many times with many, many guests on the show that, you know, a lot of these Legends appearances, uh, they turn into reunions because now, you know, there's just, there's so much uh, camaraderie between this group of guys that you see touring from show to show. And, like, you can name five guys that you talked to or you had conversations with, you know, because you guys were all, uh, basically, you know, you were all coworkers together, whereas when we've heard stories of guys from the earlier guard that were so, you know, against the new guys coming in, it was a little bit tougher. You know, having Harley give you the stamp of approval back in 93, I'm sure helped you a lot as you went along your path. Yeah. Um, when I, when, well, in 94, we got let go because Flair come back and, you know, he brought all his buddies back in, which that's cool. Cause, and then they let some of the young guys go. Me and Tex got let go. Hunter got let go. And that's when me and Hunter started up there about the same time. And, you know, we had our seven, eight-month marriage before the hog pen match. And, uh, but that was a good time with Hunter. You know, I learned a lot. I mean, we, we definitely helped groom each other a lot. And uh, we uh, wrestled in Switzerland one night, and even Kevin and Shawn Michaels come up and said, you know, some of the guys goofed around, but y'all had a hell of a match tonight. Probably, he said the best match of the night. So, you know, me and Hunter were very critical, hard on each other, but, you know, that's why we clicked so good together, you know. You know it's you a very good, enjoyable time. Yeah, well, you got, you know, you definitely – helped each other uh at that point in the wwf and uh where your role was you know in the card because you guys played a pivotal part and even that hog pen match was it was a huge part of that pay-per-view when it went uh when it went down but you know he might have helped groom you for spots on the card and you might have helped groom him for his second career so maybe uh there's yeah. a little bit more to mark canterbury than we all know right <laughs> yeah that's right and i mean you know I threw him in the gate that night, and I scarred him for life. I still, when I see him or talk to him, I mention I've scarred him for life. He got 15 stitches in his back that night, and, you know, he got slammed in all the hog mess that was in the hog pen, and uh, we were afraid he was going to get staffed or something, but they, they took care of it, and he was all right. But when we got back to the locker room, and Vince McMahon comes in and puts you in a you two in an office and says, "Damn, I can't believe you all pulled that off." He said that was a hell of a match, and our match got you know we got up for one of the top matches at the Slammy Awards that year. So yeah, that was that was an awesome time back then '96 '97 with all the tag teams. I mean, it was really big back then. And, uh, just a real good time up in WWF at the time. It was a good. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it was a pivotal, pivotal time. Like, I, yeah, pivotal time in that hog pen match. And you know, for what it was, you know, with it being such a you know a, a comedic thing, having the the hogs there. I mean, you guys beat the crap out of each other, and uh, there was blood, there was crap, there was pig slaw, there was everything you could possibly think of. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure in there, but, you know, and just mentioning them, you've, you've mentioned them a couple times, and, and Nash and Shawn Michaels, Triple H, 
you know, and a lot of people talk about the click and the BSK, which, of course, you know, The Undertaker, Yokozuna, Fatu, yourself, yeah. The Godfather, uh, Phineas, yeah. Paul Bearer. I mean, what a group of guys. Was there a divide at all between you guys, or were you two groups that got along backstage just doing your own thing in different circles? Uh, we we all got along, but I think uh, just everybody else put us put us like that, you know. Thought we were really at each other, but we would have, you know, we'd have fought for each other, and we have before, and little, you know, in the bar scene, and something would happen, and you know, whether you disagree in the ring or about how you work or something. It, it, it never carried over into the relationships. And like you say, those relationships, I cherish all of them, you know, Razor and X-Pac and Sean and uh, especially Taker and Yoko, you know, we used to stay at his house all the time. He was <clears throat> in Fatu, just all these guys were great. You know, Stone Cold, we used to go cook out with him and, we just, but everybody was close. There was that close knit between everybody. You know, everybody, brothers fight all the time, but they always make up usually. And that's how some of them were, you know. But yeah, it was, uh, it was very tight back then. Not, nothing like it is now. I, when I went back in 06 and 07 up there for a few months, it was, uh, it was, to, it was pretty different then just in eight nine years oh my gosh yeah and we'll uh, i definitely want to get to that but i want to stick with the bsk if we can for a minute i know wwe did a great article on their website a few years back talking about the bsk because everyone talks about the click and they made a dvd about the click and we hear you know the click hand signal and wwe still going after uh people on the independent scene for doing the uh you know the two suite but talk about the BSK, you know, and people you have their theories as to what it means. I and mean, we've heard Bone Street Crew, Bad Street Crew. What does the BSK stand for? And <clears throat> what is the BSK? Uh, who, and wh- is it the Undertaker who was the leader of the BSK? Yeah. Him and Yoko started it together, then too. And then... You know, then they picked who they want. You know, who would fit in to, to their mold the best. And uh, so, right off the bat, it was me and Yoko and Savio and Taker and Fatu, and then Godfather come back, and Paul Bear was there all the time. And you know, a year later, text come up, but it, yeah, it was uh, Bone Street Crew. Crew spelt with the K, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And I know you all, you guys all have a little bit of that BSK uh, on some part of you. I know you have to believe you have the BSK on your leg, correct? Mine's on my leg, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty tight bond too. Everybody have the ink and uh, the story yeah. behind that. Like, like I said, WWE did a great article on it. But that camaraderie, you know, you guys are all in one locker room together, and you're sharing a lot of time. But what was it about those guys that you guys just all hit it off right off the bat? I don't, I don't know. Is you know, WCW was a lot of the older guys, the old scene. You know what I'm saying? And then 
when I got to WWF, it was like uh, a breath of fresh air for me because I started learning more. I, I learned in WCW because I was around good people. You know, I was around Dusty and Dustin and uh, even Steve back then, Stone Cold. You know, him and Pillman were doing the Hollywood Blondes down there. And, um, but when I got to WWF and Jeff Jarrett took, you know, I just flew up and started one week and Jeff Jarrett, I rode with him for probably a year and then rode me, him and road dog was together all the time. And then, uh, I started hanging, me and Taker had a match on TV and we come back after the match and he put me over and put me over to Vince. And so that was, that was my break up there. You know, they started using me and stuff. Taker said, damn, we have to work again, but we never did, but we did the, that, uh, survivor series together. We did do that, but yeah, it was just, uh, I don't know. The attitudes were different. It didn't seem like there was, a lot of egos, you know, like everybody was trying to work together up there and they were younger guys. So hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings, but it's weightless to me. Now, as far as being Henry Godwin and, you know, being the hog farmer and the gimmick with the slop bucket and everything else, did you enjoy that gimmick? Is that a gimmick that you took to and you enjoy, like, did you like playing that gimmick? Uh, well, yeah, I did because that's what I did. It's what I was doing at the time. You know, we had a 140-acre farm, me and my dad. And so that was, you know, when I went and met met with Vince and JJ and uh, Stamp up in Connecticut and went in little Vince's hideaway office, that was pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, when I talked to them, uh, Vince goes, well, what did you, what have you done? What was your jobs? I said, uh, sports. I drove a tractor trailer for two years. I uh, worked on the psych floor at the hospital. Um, and he, and I said, then I farmed, you know, and he says, well, what kind of animals did you have? I said, hogs and cows and horses. And he said, Oh, the hogs. He said, let me think a minute. And then he started, we, he just started naming this stuff off. He goes, I, like, I want your initials to be hog. So that's how we come up with the Henry O. God. So that's how that got started with Vince. Pretty interesting how he kind of gives some guys some gimmicks and he really kind of sits down with you and tries to, almost do it very similar, more cartoony in, in a way at that point. But, um, yeah, you know, he kind of sits, sits you down and he's like, well, you know, what did you do? Did you have a lot of input or is it him kind of just feeding off of what you're telling him? I did. Uh, actually the slot bucket, I, I threw at him and he, of course he caught that and run with it, you know, and, um, let's see, I was living in, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We had moved down, sold our farm and moved down to Pigeon Forge. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, Shane had, uh, Shane McMahon had said, look around there, go out in the country a little ways and see if you can find a farm we can fly down and shoot your videos on. So I 
rode around one day for about 30 minutes and found this old farmer and he had a shitload of hogs. So, and he was an old time, he was old school, you know, had the bibs on and was slopping during the day, slopping the hogs. I said, damn, I'm, this is right up my alley. So they paid this old man, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars for us just to use his little barn and his yard that day in the hog pen. And you thought that you would have thought that old man had won the lottery when Shane gave him 200, two $100 bills. But that's where we shot my own vignettes at was down there. And that's the first time I'd met and hung out with Shane. He come to the house and, you know, met my boys. And so me and me and Shane hit it off too. I was used to, go out and have a cocktail with Shane and went to some couple of nightclubs, him and his wife. We were in Chicago at a nightclub and so yeah, I had some good times with Shane. Did you ever think Shane would be the guy who jumps in the ring and be leaping off, uh, you know, 40 foot cages uh, (laughs) year after year now as a competitor? Oh, well, Shane was always, you know, athletic, you know, athletic looking, and he's in pretty good shape. But I, he was froggy. I, I knew he was when he got older, because you know, back in back then, he was still pretty young, and I guess trying to figure out what he actually wanted to do. <clears throat> but yeah, he was froggy. I knew he was going <laughs> to eventually do something in there. He does some of the uh, some of the more elaborate. I wouldn't say stunts, but just one of the more elaborate spots that WWE has now in the last two years. It's always a Shane McMahon uh, high jump off a cage or a ladder, and it's just it's it's pretty cool to see that a guy who watched so much wrestling from the sidelines in every capacity under his father, who's you know the grand poobah of the wrestling yeah. business, uh, him to do that. One, I'm sure Vince is probably shaking his boots every time Shane jumps up there, but you know Vince has also had a lot yeah. of people in that same position, do it for him. So I, I'm sure Shane is just fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, yeah, Shane's, he's happy now. He's doing what he likes to do. And, uh, I mean, can you imagine, you know, being in that position as a, little, as a young kid and growing up in that business and the minds he must have heard from, you know, the great minds of the squared circle that he heard from? I mean, it's, that's that's just free. That was free to him, being around the, all the old boys. And I mean, it's just uh, I think that's why he's so knowledgeable in it. Yeah, I completely agree. It's um, it's a fly on the wall mentality, you know. Like you, you're yeah, exactly. Kid, you're there to just you know, you're there to to be seen and not heard. But obviously, you know, with his grandfather, and you got the likes of you know Gorilla Monsoon and and Arnold Skoland, and obviously Pat Patterson, all these great minds. You know, talking shop at an era that was about to boom. Obviously, you know he he's born and bred to be uh, in the wrestling business. But with Vince, I mean, being the creative guy that he is, and you being the hog, you know, obviously they added the pig. So how was it that you were able to get your buddy uh, up to the WWF? Was it just the kind of deal where he was a free agent, he was able to get up there at that point, or where was it that you guys were able to sink back up again and reunite and now have a a pig to go along with your hog? Well, he, you know, he was dealing with a couple issues, and uh, 
he took a little time off, you know, just sort of kicked back. And <clears throat> I think it was about a year after I started, then he came to TV and had a tryout. And the next thing I knew, you know, we were together and we, uh, we beat the Bobby Donna's, you know, for the belt. And I mean, it was just crazy. Pretty awesome and pretty memorable that you guys were able to win the tag titles. And, you know, from a fan perspective, it's always like, does that mean anything? Like to us, it kind of does when you win, like especially WF tag team titles. Does it mean anything to you when you win the tag titles? Did, did it mean anything to me? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we won that night against the Body Donnas and with Sonny in Madison Square Garden. And... They said the fire mark. I mean, that was a big show that night too. And uh, just when we won them and stood up, and you see all these people standing up, and just the place erupted. And there was twenty one thousand people there, almost twenty one thousand that night. Said the fire marshal was flipping out because there was people were standing in the aisles. But just to be a part of that with with that crew that was there that night, you know, that that's what means a lot to friendships mean a lot to me i'm not one that just you know kick kick somebody to the curb if i don't see them when i see these guys i really enjoy being with them you know because it's a big part of my life hell i was with them more than i was with my family and uh you know in a car in a hotel room in a crowded plane we were together all the time going to the gym or going to eat. I mean, you're with somebody all the time. Me and Phineas didn't have one argument, and that's what a lot of the boys always said because you look at some of the tag teams, they never got along like, hell, we we lived together. And some of the boys hated each other's guts, but they wrestled for years together, and they just put a good front on But you can ask anybody. They, me and Tex, we were like brothers. And, you know, we still are, but he's in Tampa, and I don't see him that much. I seen him at WrestleMania last year when I flew down for that. And, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, that was just a, a great time. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, such a kind of an underrated tag team division there because the Bali Donnas obviously you got Candido and Pritchard two good workers you guys won the tag titles is pretty cool you guys were a good team uh you know the blackjacks the headbangers throwing them in there but a big team you guys cheated with was the Legion of Doom do you like working with Hawk and Animal the, you know those two big stiff guys yeah and and uh Hawk, he even he would start laughing in a match, you know, saying, "What do I owe you guys money or something?" I guess they weren't really used to people being stiff back, you know. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good run with them, and you know, we dropped the belts to them on Monday Night Raw when we had Uncle Cletus with us, and I broke up broke my Uncle Cletus's nose that night, which was you know, Dirty White Boy. I don't know if you remember. I'm sure, you remember him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We just had him on recently. We were actually talking to him about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy, too. The LOD, you obviously um, ended up injuring your neck from the Doom yeah. device. Is that, 
that kind of a sore subject for you? Do you not like to kind of uh, think about uh, that? No, I mean, it's over, you know. Uh, what happened happened. And, uh, it was uh shouldn't have happened, but it did. And, you know, I didn't – I just lost the opportunity, you know. Me and – when we went to Southern Justice and we were with – Robert Fulton, you know, Colonel Parker, and then he left, and they put us with Jeff Jarrett, and that's when we <clears throat> shaved Tower Finkel's head on Monday Night Raw, and he said he loved it so much, he never let it grow out again. <laughs> sure, Fink, sure. <laughs> yeah. With um, Southern Justice, though, I'll get back to... Um to LOD and the Godwins in one second, but I just wanted to mention Southern Justice. I really thought that team had some legs to it. Did you think that they kind of abandoned that a little too soon? Well, what happened was I was wrestling with a broken neck from LOD. And um, events had a trainer with, the trainer was with me for like seven weeks straight you know, working on me, and I was in so much pain, I, did, I was losing strength. I couldn't I couldn't push 20 pounds over my head with my right arm. <clears throat> so I knew it was getting bad, and we worked at Southern Justice, you know, in the suits and stuff. Uh, we worked, my last match up there is, was with uh, badass Billy Gunn and Road Dog. And they had the belts. Well, before uh, we went out, they said, asked me, the office asked me how I felt. I said, well, something's not right. And here's seven weeks wrestling with a broken neck. <clears throat> so Vince said, all right, just go, go home, go get your MRI done again. Um, we're not going to give you the belts if you have to go home and have surgery. So that would have been the third time. So they changed it that evening. We were supposed to get them, and then we talked, and they said, well, we're just going to leave them. We'll do, I think it may have been a DQ or so. I can't remember. But anyway, we were going to get the belts that night. And uh, the next day, I went home and had my MRI. and uh, My surgery was in December. So I had spinal fusion done. I had a C6. C, me and Stone Cold had the same same thing, the C6, C7 fusion. Crazy that you were wrestling that long with such a serious injury. Did Was it kind of one of those things where you're lucky you kind of got the surgery when you did because it could have ended up a lot worse? Yeah, because the at, at the, I was losing my muscle on my right arm because your C7 controls your outer, like your triceps. and So on my right arm, I, I was, you know, I didn't have nothing left. I mean, like I said, I couldn't push a 20-pound dumbbell up over my head with my right. So I knew something was wrong, but I kept pushing it, and the, the trainer kept working with me, and I thought, well, you know, if he keeps working on me, it'll work itself out. Then it come down to 
you know, you're gonna if we give you the belts tonight, you're gonna be able to to wrestle. And I said, well, something's not right. So that's how that whole thing ended. Did you ever think to yourself to say, like, yeah, we should win the titles. I'll be fine. <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I wanted to win them again because I think the Southern Justice thing would have been so damn cool. I mean, we had the business cards um, made and everything that we started putting on people after we, you know, kicked the shit out of somebody. Then we put a card on them. And... Uh, it, it was called the cards at Southern Justice Problem Solvers, and uh, I just I, it was going to be good. It was really good. we had a lot of ideas, but you know after that they put text, you know, as a naked with the fanny pack, and then he did the Midian thing. <laughs> so that was that. That was the end of Southern Justice. Definitely had some likes to it. Definitely uh, a cool yeah. damn team. But as far as the neck injury, did that lead to like a retirement or was the contract up and then that led to the neck surgery? No, I was still under contract for that. I was under contract for a year and they honored it, you know. And then uh, Bruce Pritchard called and says, we're going to let you go for a little while and see how you do, and then you can come back. And Then my son got killed. My dad died two months after that. And, you know, I was a mess. I was in a dark, depressed place and tried to go back in 06 and 07 and went to a TV and ate with Vince and, he said, yeah, I want you to come back. I signed my contract that night, and then it just didn't work out. I, I mean, I wasn't ready. Hell, I'm in better shape now than I was then <laughs> in 07. Hmm. Is it one of those things where you can kind of get in shape enough to go back and they would want you back? Like, is the relationship with your you and Vance and you and Triple H still kind of what it was then? Uh it maybe could be, yeah. Um, when I left up there, you know, I had respect from the guys and people in the office. And, but, you know, people change, times change, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to do something again. I would really love, I never got to slot Vince or Stephanie. That's That's my big goal right there. <laughs> Bring the old slop bucket back. That would be good. You did get to oh, yeah. a bunch of times, so it would be good to uh, to get Vince. Yeah, poor Hunter. He took that, God, I would say probably a hundred times. That's no lie. Now, as far as, you know, the, the slot bucket and, and the Godwin stuff, when we talked to um, the dirty white boy, Tony Anthony, he was saying that he thought when kind of Vince and, and Vince Russo, he kind of put the blame on, he was saying when he changed you guys to Southern Justice, you guys should have stayed as heels, but as Godwins. Do you kind of agree with that assessment at all? Uh, you mean when 
Now say that again. Like when they turned you into Southern Justice, he kind of felt like the Godwins had more legs. They could have made you guys like crazy heels as the Godwins. And he was kind of saying that Russo wanted you guys to be the Southern Justice rather than play farmers anymore. He wanted to like update you guys. That's that's exactly right. Because we talked about it for about a week. We talked about it. All three of us, me and Dirty White Boy and Tex. And we would talk with a couple other people, old timers about it. Vince Russo, I mean, he's a freaking Yankee boy anyway, right up there. And he don't understand the way people live down here. I mean, what I wore on TV is Henry Godwin is what people wearing around my little town. So he's to him, the hillbilly wasn't credible enough to have a belt. And I'm thinking like, Hey Dick, it's a work, man. It's a gimmick, you know? <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's that Northern guy, you know, he's that New York. Yeah. Guy. He's not, I used to that. Yeah. He's a New York guy, which is fine. But I mean, don't be so narrow minded. Cause a hillbilly just might whip your ass for you. <laughs> <laughs> But no, that was the whole thing. He wanted he wanted us to have the belt, but he wanted us to be Southern Justice. Because we didn't hold the title, but maybe a month or six weeks, both times together, that we won it. Because he he was trying to run the show, and in the meetings he was saying, well, they're just not credible enough. <laughs> okay. So I knew where that was going. Did you get along with him at all as far as, you know, behind the scenes and things like that? Yeah, we we got along and we talked about it, but I, I think he was like, you know, we were being reasonable and I don't think he was. I think he was really pushing it like in the production meetings and probably in Vince's ear. And I mean, we were one of the toughest ones up there. I don't know why we couldn't have held the belt and still been the Godwins. I mean, you you dance with the person you brought to the dance, and I thought we'd made it to the dance a few times. You guys uh, definitely did, and when you look at you guys, you guys are pretty intimidating and credible and believable. So you know, just by looks and stature and stuff, you just look at the you know the Godwins or Southern Dress, and you just say like, wow, these guys could be champs and could be over and. and theoretically could beat anybody just by you know just by looking at you right yeah yeah i mean hell i i had some pretty good wins i slammed yoko i slammed king kong bundy on tv and beat him one two three so you know that's credible to me and having a good match with kevin nash and me and kevin were talking about that two weeks ago and and having a good match with taker and you know pulling my end and uh, when those guys say, hey, I want to work with you again or when they tell Vince, you know, well, this guy knows what he's doing and he's big, I want to work him again. And that's what Taker told me that night. <clears throat> so, I mean, that, that means something to me. It may not mean that to Vince Russo, but you know, I don't ever remember seeing him in a pair of tights and <laughs> in the ring. 
Now, at, at, at that period of time, they always say, you know, that there's always two trains of thought. It was like Russo kind of did most of the booking. And then the other train of thought is, well, not really. He was kind of uh, facilitating the things. And Vince was, you know, obviously the man in charge. What was, you know, what was the real as far as booking wise? Was it, was it, as was Russo basically getting as much credit as he should have, or or was really he wasn't as big a cog in the wheel as he said? I don't. Of course, Vince trumps anybody up there, and uh, I think Vince Russo had ideas, but I don't think he was like the big cog in the wheel. No. Bruce Pritchard was a cog in the wheel. <laughs> what was your relationship like with Bruce? I was good. Yeah. When I used to go out with Bruce, uh, we were in Texas and he invited us to his house and we had dinner and, you know, I've done that with a lot of the guys, you know, Taker, we just go to his house, Yoko's house. Dustin's, Stone Cold's, I mean, just me and Tex, these are all like cookouts and get-togethers, and um, then you get close to, to their families, and, you know, Yoko's kids, we were always around them, they were always around the business, and his whole family. Went to Taker's mom's house in Dallas and had red beans and rice one day, like four or five of us, and his mom made this big meal for us, and you know, that's just that's a, that's a bonding between men. You know, go out and eat, or go have a beer, or whatever. But that's that's just the way we were back then. It's a shame the business ain't like that now. Times have changed, and I can't even imagine the Undertaker. Not not saying that he doesn't have a mother, but I, you know, the fan in me can't imagine him having a mother and his mother making food for everybody. For some reason, it just can't equate with me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was damn good. It was Texas. It was a Texas dish. Man, red beans and rice. It was great. Now, speaking of, of, of Texas and things like that, when you guys were doing that Texas hangman thing in WCW, and obviously, you know, we, we kind of briefly talked about it with Shanghai Pierce and Tex Lazinger. Where do those names kind of come from? Is that something you guys just made up? Because it, it does have kind of cool-sounding well, names to it. I'm glad you asked that. Um, Shanghai Pierce, Barry Windham and Dusty come up with. Shanghai Pierce was a, a dirty rancher. In, he's in like the – you'll hear his name like in the old gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, you hear the the rancher texts uh, Shanghai Pierce in those old westerns, and that's where they got the name from. And uh, Tex Lazinger, I think that's from an old western too. But I know the Shanghai Pierce is out of the old westerns. So basically, it's Dusty and Barry Windham kind of taking that from the old Western and giving you guys those names? Yeah. Yeah. Now, how come you wore the mask and he didn't as far as the team? You guys both were in masks. 
<laughs> this is funny. And Tex always gives me shit about this. Um, he, Dusty said, I had a baby face. <laughs> I was too good looking. And Tex was the ugly one. <laughs> so he, that's, uh, Dusty put the mask on me. So Tex always, he always teased me about that. But yeah, that was, that was from Dusty. I guess you couldn't have like a quote unquote good looking, uh, <laughs> a good looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I loved it. You know, it was the, it was the chinless one so I could breathe better. And actually, I, I loved working in it because nobody knows it's me. I can do whatever I want and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> Plus, it's not every day Dusty Rhodes calls you, you know, babyface and attractive, and then calls Dennis Knight, you know, an ugly guy. Yeah, yeah, it was it was hilarious at the time. You guys always had great chemistry. Is that something that is developed, kind of? You think over time, or is it just one of those things with chemistry and wrestling where you, it develops immediately and you know you have it? Well, with me and Tex. It was the very first night. You know, I was like uh, 28. I think Tex was 24. <clears throat> and, you know, he he's bouncing at strip clubs, so he's he's wide open, you know, when he kind of, he's wrestling, but his job, he's bouncing at the strip clubs in Tampa. So he's got this rowdy side to him, and, you know, I'm just from West Virginia and sort of a redneck hillbilly. So the very first night, I can't really tell you what happened, but it involved a uh, a female, and uh, it just sort of clicked that night. And we we just grew from there. You know, it was uh, one of them all-nighters. We're both glad that... Uh, we just got signed, and it's the first night together, and we're getting ready to go on the road, and Sting's there, and, you know, Lex Luger, and British Bulldog, Tatanka. You know, it was a pretty good crew down there, and then it just sort of changed at the end, though. And uh, I don't know, it just left sort of a bad taste in my mouth down there, and so when I went up north to with Vince, it it was like a breath of fresh air. It was a new start. It was a good start. So you didn't like working with the Cole twins. I'm shocked. Yeah, it was was a little tough, (laughs) (laughs) but good guys, you know, it is an interesting kind of when you think about the wrestling business how some guys have chemistry and you almost think like oh these guys they're you know they're they're going to hit it off they're going to hit it off you as far as you and Triple H it, it just looks like you know country boy tough guy against kind of a, a rich guy from Connecticut these guys won't have good chemistry and all of a sudden you guys messed well together so that's another kind of weird thing with chemistry you never kind of know who's going to hit it off yeah, I mean, you you don't. But I think what helped me and him a little bit is we knew each other a little bit in WCW. 
So when we both ended up about the same time up there and up north, then, you know, everything just sort of fell together. And uh, and we both thought it was a good idea that he was the prissy English boy, you know, never been on a farm. And me, you know, not washing my clothes all the time and carrying a damn slop bucket around. I mean, what more could you ask for? It's it's bound to happen. He's going to get muddy or he's going to get slop on him eventually. And he did both quite often. <laughs> <laughs> but that match, too, I mean, we've talked about it a few times here, but let's get into that. So that match, I mean, when they pitched that to you, what do you think? you think that's going to be the signature match of Henry Godwin, or was that made to be just a, a one-and-done uh, night for you guys and be like the culmination of that feud? Because you guys feuded for months on TV before you got to that hog pen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we we didn't – the thing me and Hunter talked about, we would come up with something and we would write it down or tell each other and then tell each other. <clears throat> but we never went to anybody else and said, you know, what should we do? Should we do this? Or Me and him, and that's why Vince was so impressed, because me and Hunter are the ones that come up with that match. And even Vince said, that's what he said that night. He said, y'all could have easily went the other way and just made this a damn comedy ha-ha match. But he said there was some substance to it. Y'all really put a lot of effort into what we did, and... and you know, we weren't out there to dance around and throw slop on each other. We wanted to kick each, kick each other's ass, and that's what we did. I mean, I was sore for two days, and I had to do TV the next night. And I couldn't hardly move from hitting that concrete. But, yeah, we've had great chemistry, and, you know, we've been friends, and as far as I'm concerned, we'll always be good friends. But, uh, you know, Hunter, Hunter was a good guy, and... He taught me a lot, and I think we sort of taught each other a lot. That uh, that pay-per-view is an interesting one because it was the last pay-per-view of 1995, and that whole year, 96, would obviously be huge with Austin taking off and then uh, Hall and Nash leaving and the NWO and all that. But that match, it stands out on that card, even though there was a bloody, bloody match between the Bulldog and Bret Hart that night. It almost seems like... If it wasn't for that busted open spot in the match, which, you know, Bret Hart and the Bulldog, uh, there may have been some, uh, you know, calculation with that that bleeding spot. But you guys really, uh, I think you sold the show. And do you think they anticipated a a match like that with a gimmick to steal the show on a pay-per-view like that? No, and and that's exactly, I'm glad you brought that up because everybody, a lot of the boys come up and even people in the office told Vince, he goes, they were saying they couldn't believe that we pulled that off. And, you know, I took that big flip over into the hogs, not knowing whether I'm going to land on a hog and, you know, break my back or break its back. Or it was just something, you know, me and Hunter, when we, when we put our minds together like that and wanted to do something, you know, we did it. And we just went balls to the walls that night. And, you know, Vince said, I, you know, like I told you, he said, I can't believe y'all pulled that off. It could easily went the other way. And a lot of the boys were telling us that, you know, that that was the best match. A lot of them, even Vince said that was the best, best match of the night. 
It's uh, no, it's if people if on paper you hear the name Hogpen match, you know you might laugh at it, but go watch it. It's it's brutal, and you guys kick the tar out of each other. But I got to ask this too, you know everybody's known that Vince uh, has always told people that uh, you're not going to do something unless he does it first. So did Vince take a a bump into the Hogpen before the show started or what? <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't do that. That would have been nice. It'd be nice to do now. I think it'd be nice just to put a big, a good slopping on him. <laughs> that's the, uh, you, you said that's the bucket list slop guy. But do you like have to walk through the hog pen match first with the hog trainers and they give you any instructions as to how to <laughs> dance around these pigs in, in this pen in the middle of a. 10, no, 000? no. <laughs> they, uh, he just, they built that little pen and he turned them in and then he left. And he come back later on that night, you know, and they paid him real good for the hogs, him hauling the hogs there. <clears throat> but, yeah, we just, you know, I've been around them my whole life, so I knew if I didn't hit one and hurt it or hurt myself that I could get up and, and then after I slammed, you know, Triple H in the hog pen, then I started smacking the hogs and they started running all over the place and, so, I mean, it turned out real good. Everything was, I mean, was perfect that night. Just the timing on everything. And it was just, a, that was probably my favorite match of my career. And then also you had Hillbilly Jim was uh, was the enforcer there at ringside. Obviously a, a great tie-in to uh, WWF history with, you know, the quote, the Hillbilly character. But then he was added to, not only just being with you, but then also with Phineas when he came aboard. So kind of how was Hillbilly Jim uh, being added to the frag? It's obviously a long-time WWF mainstay at that point, but getting back on the road because he had taken more of an office job at that point. So how did uh, the Hillbilly uh, mix with the uh, the hog and the pig to make the Godwin family? Oh, my God. We had so much fun when they'd bring the pigs and we'd do our interviews. Because I would I would have a pig and Phineas would have a pig. Well, Hillbilly was doing most of the talking, you know, during the interview. We'd say little things, but we always had a pig in our hand. So, of course, uh, Hillbilly wore the jean jacket, but it would slide down some, and he didn't have, wear a shirt under his overalls like we did at first. So this is going to be – this is funny. This is hilarious. Um the pigs were little, and they were just come off nursing <laughs> the the sows. So, Hillbilly's nipples would always stick out of his overalls, and I don't know how many times he's got bit. We would let the pigs bite him. Oh no! But if you ever talk to Hillbilly, ask him about the pigs biting his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Now that would be something great to to bring up out of the blue. Just hit him with it out of uh, out of left field. We talked to Hillbilly before, but we did not know uh, the nipple biting of uh, of the pigs during the Godwin run. Oh yeah, he would get all fired up, and then pigs would start squealing. But it was a uh, it was a great time. Hillbilly is one of the nicest guys, and just down to earth. And he, I mean, he's a hillbilly. That's why I got along with him so much because he acts like a southern boy. You know, he's He's just a big hillbilly. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, we talked to Hillbilly a few months ago, and yeah, you're com- completely right. Just an absolutely amazing guy. 
Uh, just so nice and so gentle. And, and we said to him, he's one of the guys that nobody's ever said anything bad about in the wrestling world. And whether or not it's a guest on the show or reading anywhere, he's one of those guys that kind of, uh, he's kind of Teflon because what has he ever really done to uh, kind of stir up any problems? Yeah. And I'll touch on that. Um, you know, we, we would take up for Hillbilly if anybody was messing with him and Hillbilly would say, well, there ain't nobody here that can beat all three of us up. <laughs> so that was Hillbilly saying, but touching on, hold on one sec. Okay. Yeah, but that, uh, that Hillbilly is just, he's down to earth and just a great guy. Would love to see him. Hopefully I'll catch up with him one day. He is the man. He uh, We had almost probably as good an interview off air with the Hillbilly that we did on air that uh, if the, if the audio was rolling at that point, that would be a great, uh, that'd be a great uh, compliment episode to the one we did with him. But I got to ask this before I hand it over to John here. One guy that I'd love to, to kind of touch on is Bill Watts because Bill Watts made an unprecedented stop in the WWF while you were there. <laughs> now him coming from WCW at a time when you were there a few years prior, did you, were you shocked to see Bill Watts working for Vince in 95? Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit, but, you know, Bill was, uh, he was very old school, just a tough guy. And, but, you know, he had a good, he had a good head. He had good ideas, what he wanted to do, but I just, it just, he just didn't work up there for some reason. I think that's that whole WCW scene and the WWF cause Vince is wanting to, venture out he wants new stuff where wcw at the time was just the same thing it was the same old thing and uh vince just has a great mind for what he wants to do too and he that's the best in the business you know yeah it was an interesting time obviously vince was uh you know in a fight for his life didn't know what was going to be going on jerry jarrett was up there at one point uh, to kind of man the uh, the operations. And then when Bill Watts is brought in, you know, it's two huge guys, two huge egos in the business, two guys that could run the show themselves. But, you know, that WCW contingent that Bill Watts had was basically there at one point. I mean, Austin was there. Dustin was there. You were there. Phineas, I mean, it was at yeah. Triple H. I mean, that was a huge WCW contingent at that point. And I'm sure that also made it pretty easy for you too. These, these are all guys that you all came up together and now you're watching the WWF, you know, you guys are carrying the ship and Bill Watts is now back in control at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was fine with me, you know, cause we were doing our thing and we were, you know, I mean, I was doing my thing. I was pretty set on where I wanted to go, where Vince wanted me to go. And so I wasn't worried, but Bill, you know, he was always nice to me and, Hell, he gave me my first job, you know, so I, I always had his back. I never said anything bad about him and even worked Eric and his partner when they come up there and did that space gimmick or whatever, and we worked them for a little while. Good old Techno Team 2000. That's it. I couldn't remember. I've I've had too many bangs to the head, but I knew it was something like that. It was, <laughs> it was a... Unique gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I start to wind it down a bit here, I mean, obviously we've, we've talked about a lot of great matches in your career, 
Maybe not against Techno Team 2000, but do you have a, a favorite match or maybe a couple favorite matches in your career? Oh, well, the, of course, the Hunter match is right, is, is way up there. Uh, the Undertaker match and the Kevin Nash match because it was just too, like, Two weeks ago, Kevin was telling me, yeah, and your big ass picked me up, and nobody's ever picked me up, you know, like that. And he was he was glad, though, that he could work with somebody that was going to dish out some, you know, hardcore stuff to him. And we were just talking about that. That's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, yeah, but those, those were good matches. I loved those matches. Now, as far as kind of, favorite opponents, obviously Triple H ranks up there, but besides Triple H and Nash and Taker, are there any other kind of maybe hidden guys that we haven't mentioned that you really had great chemistry with and you really like getting in there with? Uh, Bret Hart. We had, uh, we wrestled two weeks in a row on TV and I loved working with Bret because he's, he lays it in there too. You know, he's, he's snug. He didn't hurt you, but he's snug and um, let's see, uh, me and Cactus Jack, Mankind, he was, uh, we were in Vancouver. I can't remember, I don't know if it was Bam Bam Bigelow or who, but somebody didn't make it to Vancouver. And we were having a pay-per-view. It may have been in your house. So they came, I wasn't even working that night. I was there. But I wasn't on the card, so they come to me like, two or three hours before pay-per-view starts and said, we, we have a match with cactus and put him over. I said, well, hell yeah, be a payday and it'd be a fun match. So, uh, yeah, me and cactus had a, that was a good match too. That was fun. And I remember I threw him out of the ring and got down there on the floor and I slam him on the mat. He goes this time, move the mat. So I slammed him two more times on the concrete, but that's just the way he was. But that was a real good match, too. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of nice, stiff, hard-fought matches that you've, uh, you've had, and we've seen a lot of them. But uh, i got to say, it's been, uh, it's been a ton of fun to speak with you tonight. But before we wrap it up here, i got to ask you, when you look back at your career and you look at all the things that you've done. You're a two-time WWE Tag Team Champion. You've wrestled in WCW. you wrestled in all these great places. You've had many partners. You've had many opponents. But what do you want the fans to remember about Mark Canterbury at the end of the day? That I'm a blue-collar, uh, loyal, hillbilly, redneck, whatever you want to call me, and I just want people to remember how hard a lot of us worked coming up in this business. And, you know, it's a hard business. The road's hard and, you know, you're not with your family and you don't see your kids. So I just want people to to appreciate what we try to give back to them. And I know a lot, I know a lot of fans and, and they are pretty appreciative, but at the end of the day, just that I was a good guy, uh, did what I was told and tried to do it the best of my ability. 
and you can't uh, you can't beat that whatsoever. And it's cool to see you out there on the convention scene. And like I told you, we'll be running into you uh, this coming weekend in New Jersey at Legends of the Ring. You will be, uh, I'm sure, inundated with a lot of great fans from the New Jersey, the New York area. Obviously, the Godwins were very, very popular there. Uh, but I'm sure the one question that you won't be asked is, was there any plans to bring in a naked Mark Canterbury to go with naked Dennis Knight, a.k.a. Midian? Mark Canterbury wouldn't have done that for all the money in the world. <laughs> and I but think they have... knew that, and they took advantage of Tex because they knew he was crazy and he would do it. <laughs> I think it was a rib, too. That's what I heard. Well, I think as tag team partners, we'd have to ask if you had the matching fanny pack. So I guess that that would be the only uh, distinction between the two of you guys. Yeah, you won't catch me in a fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> well... Mark, this has been a ton of fun, and we appreciate going down memory lane. You definitely uh, you got two big fans here on the two-man power trip, so we appreciate you taking the time and telling some great stories. And we would have loved to have just been uh, butts in the ashtray uh, in that car ride with Harley, Hercules, and the Barbarians. So thanks so much for sharing all that tonight. All right, I'll see you guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.